Listeners like you support the Historian's Podcast and keep history alive. Please donate to our fund drive by clicking the GoFundMe link on our website, bobcudmore.com. My name is Stephen Williams. I was a reporter at the Daily Gazette in Schenectady for 42 years. I recently retired, and I am the author of a new book called Off the Northway, which is a collection of 83 of the newspaper columns that I wrote for the Daily Gazette over a decade as a columnist between 2005 and 2016. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. We uh, welcome Steve Williams uh, to talk about his book, Off the Northway, same name as the, as the column, Off the Northway, which he did for many years for the Daily Gazette. One of the topics I want to get right into that I don't know that much about, although it's an important part of local history, is the history of how global foundries came to be. Uh, let, me, let me just start by asking you, can you give us, what is Global Foundries? What do they do when they're located off the Northway in the town of Malta? That's correct, Bob. Global Foundries is a worldwide manufacturer of uh, semiconductor chips. I mean, what you and I would call computer chips which came to the town of Malta in 2009, went through a lengthy process to get approvals and to construct what in the end has become a $15 billion factory where 3,000 people work. And I mean, right now they are in serious discussions about building a second plant right there. They are applying for town approvals, and they are looking for funding from the federal and state governments to help pay for the plant, which is, again, going to be a multi-billion dollar plant. With the history stories that I've read, written over the years for the Gazette, primarily about the Amsterdam area, I'm talking about usually the carpet industry or broom making or these old processes which aren't here anymore. I mean, this really is the the new wave, or this is, uh, I don't know what, would you say that uh, Global Foundries is kind of the new GE in the area? Uh, yeah, I mean, that would be very accurate because, I mean, this uh, plant has brought enormous number of jobs and enormous amount of change to central Saratoga County. Uh, yeah, it, I wrote a piece when I retired in which I said it's probably the biggest private investment uh, change to this uh, region since uh, Thomas Edison came and uh, was scouted Schenectady for General Electric. Let me bring in uh, Dave Green just for a moment, often a silent partner on the production of the Storians podcast. But Dave, you live in the in the town of Malta and you, in a sense, were there when they started building this plant. The, the one note you can make about global foundries is you would, living in the town, you would never know there were 3,000 people working there. Well, and Steve Williams, let me ask you about that. I mean, it, I think Dave once told me, you know, you can walk by the plant and you don't really hear much of anything. It's not like they're making steel. I mean, if you used, were to walk by uh, the old GE, I mean, of course, they still make the turbines and uh, generators some, but it's noisy uh, industry. This particular industry is quiet. Very quiet. It's very clean. I mean, in fact, I mean, they work in what is called a clean room 
which is uh, said to be 100 times more sanitary and clean than a hospital operating room because the computer chips they're making are in tiny circuits. You know, a hundredth the width of a hair would be about how big these circuits are. And they cannot be contaminated in any way. And the manufacturing process of any given set of computer chips takes weeks, but it has to be done in a highly sanitary uh, setting, uh, which is very quiet. I mean, the only discharge that comes out of that plant is usually a water vapor on a coal today in the wintertime. As a, as a journalist, do they let you go in there? I have never been inside the clean room. I used to threaten to be the guy who would track mud into the clean room, and they probably took me seriously when I said that. But I mean, you can go in. There are, there are public areas. There's a cafeteria which offers food from, you know, three dozen cultures because, I mean, it's a very multicultural uh, workforce that they have there. You mentioned that there's 3,000 people and I was going to ask you, where do they have come from? I mean, they've literally come from all over the world? They have literally literally come from all over the world. I mean, Global Foundries had a plant in Germany when this plant opened, so a number of people came from Germany. They also had people who came from Texas. A number of people came from Texas where there was a factory. People have come from California and Oregon and I mean, number of them are from um, you know Asian, Indian, or um, Indonesian background because there is also a number of computer chip plants in Singapore. Taiwan is has a number of computer chip plants, and they hit, what they did when they were hiring is attract people who had experience from all over the world. And I mean, since the startup period, they have been working to develop a pipeline to bring uh, you know, local students in and create a, a job pipeline. But uh, initially, they had a number of people who came from all over the world. And I think they have had some success now finding local employees, but it continues to be a very multinational workforce. They are making an effort, though, to hire, in a sense, local people? They are. Hudson Valley Community College has a satellite campus uh, within a half mile of Global Foundries, which does specific training for the plant. And I think Hudson Valley also has some uh, related courses that take place down at the Troy campus. Information on your book uh, said you follow the twists and turns of the creation of Global Foundries. Who's around here has some had some bearing on them coming here or, or worked on this project? There's really two large things that you need to know. Uh, one is that back around the year 1900, a man named Tommy Luther was buying up uh, you know, abandoned farms, farmers who were looking to move on to something else. So he amassed 7,000 acres in both Malta and Stillwater, and he then planted pine plantation trees on that land. Uh, the idea of scientific forestry, you know, harvesting trees from time to time while still maintaining a healthy forest was something which was very um, sort of state-of-the-art at the time. So he amassed 7,000 acres of pine plantation, which he cut from time to time. Then after World War II, uh, the U.S. government became aware of how much land was there and that you could 
conduct uh, experiments. And what they did is they put a rocket engine test station there. GE was part of that. And because they had thousands of acres around them, they could loudly test rocket engines. And for the most part, people would not be aware of it. And as part of that, they built or they imposed a no habitation zone for one mile in every direction around that plant. Now, eventually, the rocket engine testing stopped. Uh, the state uh, took over the land and used it for energy research and development purposes. But along about the year 2000, the, land, the state was no longer making significant use of the land, and economic development officials in Saratoga County saw that, okay, we have thousands of acres here with nobody living in it or even anywhere near it, and this might be an ideal place to try to attract uh, you know, an industry that they saw as an industry of the future. I'd always heard that um, the former New York State um, Senate leader, Joe Bruno, had a lot to do with with getting the Global Foundries uh, plant located in Malta, did he? He certainly did. The uh, other big factor beyond the preservation of the land is that uh, Senator Bruno, at the time, was the majority leader of the uh, state Senate, Very was very interested in economic development in the capital region, and he had been convinced that the, the semiconductor industry was going to be the industry of the future and would be a good way to bring jobs to upstate New York. He initially, he was from Rensselaer County, and initially a plant was proposed in, I believe it was East Greenbush. And <coughs> East Greenbush at the town board level began to have a discussion about you know, the amount of traffic this would mean, do we really want this to happen? And before there was even an actual application, the town board said, no, we're not interested in this. And Senator Bruno took that as a slap in the face. He was very angry, but he was determined that this should happen somewhere in his Senate district, which happened to extend north into Saratoga County and to the town of Malta. So he worked very hard and uh, invested, well, hundreds of millions of dollars in state funds to have the site developed. It would still be in his district, and the officials in the town of Malta were much more receptive than they had been in East Greenbush. You write, or it's written about your book, that the global foundries coming to Malta has a long roller coaster history, a lot of ups and downs. What were some of those? It was a two-year process. So it was a very long process to convinced the town board that this would be a good idea to rezone the land. They did a full environmental impact statement which looked at the questions of whether there was going to be irreparable harm to the environment. Uh, And in the end, with a number of conditions, including construction of a new bypass around the uh, very historic village of Round Lake, agreed that, yes, this was something which would be worth uh, changing the zoning for, It was another two years after that with the state and with Saratoga County economic development officials out trying to recruit a computer chip company to come here before they actually got a computer chip company to sign on the line. That was a company called Advanced Micro Devices. Now, one of the loops on the roller coaster is that Advanced Micro Devices 
makes a very good computer chip, but their chief competitor in the industry was Intel, which had 85% of the market. So they were number two in the semiconductor market for the chips that go into laptop computers, but they were number two to Intel. So they were having a lot of economic struggle at AMD. At the time they made this commitment, and the state had agreed to give them $1.2 billion in either cash or tax credits to come and invest in the town of Malta. And there were questions, does the company have the financial wherewithal to actually do this? Apparently they did. Several years later, with uh, AMD continuing to lose money, uh, they agreed to sell their manufacturing plants, which included a plant in Germany, to a group of, um, well, to the government of Abu Dhabi. And they were looking for good places to invest their money. So what happened is AMD sold its manufacturing plants to this new, well, to this investment fund. The investment fund created a new company called Global Foundries, which in turn sold chips to advanced micro devices and to probably 50 other companies because this chip industry is so expensive to get into that most electronic companies, Apple being a prime example, don't make their own computer chips. They hire somebody else to do it. And that's what a company like Global Foundries does. Initially, then, uh, some of the money to develop this uh, came from Abu Dhabi, or and, or, and were there other uh, oil-rich Middle Eastern nations involved? No, uh, the government of Abu Dhabi had what they called a sovereign wealth fund, which means that uh, you know, the ruling family of Abu Dhabi pretty much controls the investment, and they put, I don't know how many billions of dollars, probably 10 or $15 billion into the initial startup. From all appearances, it has been a very well-managed fund, and they have hired people who knew what they were doing, and they have let those people do what they know how to do. I mean, they have not been an owner who interfered in how the plant is set up or how it is operated. And it has been a success far beyond what I think even Joe Bruno would have expected. Uh, the initial uh, agreement back in 2016 was that that plant would hire 1,200 people. And today it has 3,000 employees. So it's been more successful than anybody thought, really, I think, back when it was first envisioned. Now they're, they're talking about building a second plant? Yeah, I mean, we all have heard how there's a worldwide computer chip shortage, and the management at the plant has also talked frequently in public about the fact that we're going to have more computer chips in our lives going into the future. I mean, our cars will have more computer chips probably than we can count, even though it hasn't, it has no impact really on our, the driving experience. There are computer chips everywhere in your car. I mean, there are computer chips and home appliances now. I mean, they are everywhere, and yeah, there's a worldwide shortage of them. So I think that the management at Global Foundries is aware of the need for another plant. It's going to take probably three years to build it once they have approval for it, but I think that you know, the demand for computer chips is a long-term thing. 
One thing that uh, it always has fascinated me is how these big companies act or their sort of public relations work. I remember uh, years ago uh, when I lived in Pittsfield, I covered uh, GE for some a radio station out there, and that was a big GE city then. And GE had these slogans like "We bring good things to life." And I was looking at the uh, the stuff that Global Foundries puts out online, and it, it seems so surreal to me, or like otherworldly. I just wrote down one line. Uh, they, you know, about what their goal is. They they wrote. We're delivering a new era of more. Like virtual reality goggles. I mean, that's something that, you know, people our age probably don't give a much thought to. But, you know, I mean, young people are fascinated by them. I'm, I mean, there are game systems. And all of those things require computer chips that have an enormous amount of um, memory capacity in them. And, I mean, the computer chips... Pretty much all look the same, but every generation of them has more memory power and more ability to uh, process information. And I mean, that's where you get to the point where you you can put on goggles and you can be taken to an underwater shipwreck, and you really can't <laughs> tell you're not there. Okay. Let me give one more uh, opportunity to Dave Green if he has a, a question for Steve about his book Off the Northway, and in particular. Uh, the creation of the Global Foundries plant. Uh, Dave, uh, has the plant altered life in Malta? No, it really hasn't. They even stagger the shifts, so there's really not, never quite a traffic jam, as you might think. You know, they, I think they stagger the shifts every 15 or 20 minutes. You often wonder, are they really working over there? Well, uh, again, our guest is uh, Steve Williams, who's uh, written Off the North Way, which is a book, a collection of his uh, columns about Saratoga County or about what's off the North Way. Um, and I uh, want to get in some other uh, topics before we're uh, out of time. The title of your book is Off the North Way. Uh, was the North Way important to, to bringing... Uh, Global Foundries to Malta. I mean, it's right near Exit 11, right on the Northway. Well, it, I mean, access to the Northway was a significant part of what had to ha- happen to uh, bring Global Foundries here because I mean, they get large volumes of you know chemicals for the manufacturing process and other things that come up the Northway. I mean, the, the I called the column off the Northway because. It was really construction of the Northway in the late 1950s and early 1960s, which changed Saratoga County and allowed for the population of the county to expand from about 65,000 people back in 1940 to uh, 237,000 today. Most of that population growth occurred after the Northway was constructed constructed, and you saw the arrival of all those uh, suburban homes, and then people were commuting down the north way to Albany or Colony or Schenectady, and along about 2000, uh, the economic development people here in the county began to think, you know, people should be commuting either up the north way, or they should be able to work right near where they live. So there was a much stronger effort at that point to try to get 
some companies like uh, the State Farm Insurance Headquarters and Global Foundries to come to the county. Uh, I called it off the Northway because you know, the, it was the Northway that changed the county. But you know, the communities are really off the Northway, and that's where we who live in Saratoga County really lead our lives. It's off the Northway. Let, let me ask you about, again, some other aspects of your book and some of the other stories you cover. It is said you write about uh, some of the unusual local history of Saratoga County. What's unusual up there? Oh, I mean, just every I guess every community has its unusual and odd things. I mean, I am very fond of the story of how the Duroc pig, which you know, it is even today one of the main meat-raising breeds of pig. It's called a Duroc, D-U-R-O-C. And uh, I mean, at the time, there was a big meat market in Albany. And what happened is that, you know, the national arrival of railroads made it much easier to grow pigs in uh, you know, Iowa or states like that and process them in Chicago. And just the economics of it put an end to you know, the large-scale racing of pigs here in Saratoga County. Uh, I mean, there's also the story of a guy named Angus McDermott, who was a Scotsman. This would have been uh, right after the American Revolution. But uh, he was out in a thunderstorm one night looking for a lost cow. And he swore he saw a fire-breathing beast with glowing eyes, and there was a smell of sulfur in the air. Sure it was the devil. He had not been a man who went to church before that. And after that, he became a churchgoer. And the road where that cur- occurred is known even today in the town of Boston is Devil's Lane. Well, certainly Saratoga Springs has an unusual history with the uh, horse racing and the casinos and so forth. It, it, well, it does. And I mean, I also I, I talk about some of those things. And I also talk about, you know, the ethnic neighborhoods, uh, particularly on the west side of Saratoga Springs. There were Italian and Irish immigrant communities, which concentrated on the west side because it was land that was less desirable than over near the track where you know, the established families were already well established. But there was a whole very colorful kind of west side where you had Italian delis and you had you know, Irish workers on the railroads. And it, it was a great community very tight-knit community. People who lived in that community grew up to be judges. Uh, uh, Michael Sweeney, a great judge, uh, grew up there, and he represented the mobster Meyer Lansky back in 1954 Mm -hmm. when Meyer Lansky was actually thrown into jail for the only time in his life Mm -hmm. because of a gambling incident in Saratoga Springs. You used the phrase uh, tight-knit. I've always had that impression of Saratoga Springs. And I remember a friend of mine, uh, you know, and I was maybe kind of based for a long time in the Albany area or Albany Schenectady area. And when we'd go up to do our thing, whatever that was, we were were putting on talks and so forth up in Saratoga Springs. He always said, it's tough up here. You got to be from here to get anywhere. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I think uh, it is true uh, people who live in Saratoga and have for generations are very proud of the community, and I uh, mean they have uh, 
not always been totally welcoming to new com- settlers coming into the community, but you've also always had very active multi-ethnic community here because many of the track workers are, uh, you know, a Latino by background, and they uh, form a significant part of the community, especially in the summertime. Stephen Williams is uh, author of Off the Northway. We we have uh, a few minutes uh, left. Is there, is there any areas that we haven't covered that you'd uh, like to bring up? Um, I just mentioned that you know, uh, it in a way ties into global foundries. But uh, I do devote uh, several uh, sections in the book to just kind of the tension which exists and has ever since the construction of the Northway between trying to preserve a good natural environment, quality of life, and the desire to you know, develop land, have more houses. I mean, the county still has a number of wild areas. We have a section up around uh, Great Sacandaga Lake which has a resident population of moose. We have, you know, coyotes are here. Uh, the Carner Blue Butterfly has a number of uh, locations in the county. And then we, we have an active recreational scene with the Zim Smith Trail, which, again, that was a project that took many years to bring to fruition. But today, the Zim Smith Trail, which is a bike trail which runs from uh, Mechanicville to Boston Spa, is very popular. How is the book doing? It's it's just out for a little while. No, it's doing very well. We only had the official book launch uh, about a week ago. That was a very successful event. It is available uh, right now at Northshire Bookstore in Saratoga Springs at the Open Door in Schenectady. And at the uh, gift shop inside the Brookside Museum in Boston Spa, and uh, it's doing very well. Are you going to keep writing? Uh, I, I don't know if I have another book in me, but I certainly plan to keep writing in one form or another. Stephen Williams uh, is author of Off the Northway, a compilation of 83 articles that he wrote. Uh, he retired after a 42-year career at the Daily Gazette in Schenectady. Do you miss going to work? You know, I still follow the news, but I'm glad to not have to write about it every single day. That was probably weight on you, didn't it? If you think, oops, there's something here that's about the Northway. I've got to cover it. Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. And, you know, when the fire trucks went out, you always had to keep an ear open as to whether this was going to be a bad fire or not and sometimes you had to drop everything and run. Well Stephen Williams I I thank you very much for uh, joining us again. His book is called Off the Northway. You're listening or you've been listening to the Historians Podcast and I'm Bob Cudmore. All right. well thanks a lot Steve. All right. yeah thank you Bob. Thank you Dave. Uh, Steve before you go where am I most likely going to spot a moose up around Sacandaga? If you drive off Fox Hill Road, I think you will see one at either dawn or dusk sooner or later. Which road? It's called Fox Hill Road. It cuts from near the Bachelorville Bridge over through the mountains and comes out in Lake Desolation. Okay. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Steve. Yeah, now thank you both. Well, you can use the moose question. Maybe we can end with that or something. Just <laughs> yeah, really. put it there. And I really hope you get to see a, a moose, Dave. 
how do we support the Historians Podcast, you might wonder. Our year-long fundraiser. Our mailbox can be a lonely place. We need your help to reach our 2022 Historians Podcast Fund Drive goal of $6,000. We got off to a good start. We passed the halfway point, but we uh, need new donations. I was almost going to say desperately need uh, new donations. Please continue uh, to our Fund Drive page by clicking the GoFundMe link after you get to our website, bobcudmore.com. Or send a check made out to Bob Cudmore to 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. I know I said this once before, but this time, for real, you've been listening to the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. <laughs>